is the Santita Jackson Show. Good morning. Thursday, February 9th, the Santita Jackson Show, WCPTA 20, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota, and YouTube, the Santita Jackson Show, and the Santita Jackson and Friends page, and I've shared it around. And I want everyone, I want you to meet my morning stars, Robert and Kenneth and Jewel and Daryl and Paula. And Laura and Miss Robinson and Daphne and so many and Barbara Bacon and Madeline and how you doing everybody? Sending you all so much love today. Dave, how you doing? And Daryl again. All right. I love you all. Meet them over there because they have some wonderful conversations. Today we're talking about child labor laws. Specifically what's happening in Iowa. Uh, the if the Republicans have their way, children as young as 14 and a half, would be able to drive themselves to work. And they'd be able to work in some very dangerous condition with some exemptions. You know, they don't want them to work in dangerous conditions, but there can be exemptions. They could be working in meat packing plants and on and on where you can lose your limbs. These are children at 14. When will America learn? Stop trying to get something for nothing. <laughs> oh my gosh, the land, slavery, it just doesn't stop. What are we talking about that? Because that's about to happen right now. And we've got to talk about child labor. And of course, we'll have Dr. Maxwell, who wants to talk about the state and the economy and its impact upon you, healthcare particularly, and wages. Can't wait to speak with him. But we're going to have a wonderful panel to talk about child labor, uh, the roots of it, and what's happening up in Iowa. Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCTT. Uh, let's talk today, of course, Dr. Shanina Knighton and uh, the magnificent Pastor Barry Spoke giving us a good news in just a couple of minutes. And, of course, joined by my board operator. We'll get right to it. Thursday, February 9th. Hmm. Wow, what's going on in Chicago? It's strange. Rain and snow today, 43 degrees. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 35 degrees. Cloudy in the NBA. Big Trace Durant is out of Brooklyn as is Kyrie Irving. What does it mean? Durant is going out there to Arizona. They say he might win another championship. So we'll see how this all works out and Kyrie's return to the floor triumphant. But in the meantime, the Timberwolves 143. Ooh, the Jazz 118. The Bulls will be playing the Nets tonight. In the NHL, Chicago's team had the, had the night off, but the Stars were triumphant over the Wild. 4-2-1. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Who do you have? Who you got? Do you have Kansas City? Do you have Philly? Welcome, call me at 773-763-9278-773-763-WCPT, and you can let me know. The death toll from the magnitude 7.8 earthquake in Syria and Turkey is now at least, get this everybody, 16,000 souls. Wow. It's an increase of more than 5,000 people in just one day, according to authorities. Crews are still sifting through the rubble as thousands of workers, volunteers, and companies attempted to deliver much-needed aid to that region. And think about it. In a, in a region where they do have earthquakes, 
earthquakes occur all over the world. Many people in Turkey are very upset because they said Turkey was not prepared. Turkey's earthquake fund had, get this, according to a report on MSNBC, just $5 in the fund. God bless the people of Turkey and Syria. Reach out to your Red Cross and, and to other aid agencies because they need all of us all around the world. They are our brothers and sisters, everybody. The Biden administration will soon release a roadmap to transition the United States out of the COVID-19 public health emergency, according to sources. The goal of the expected roadmap, one source said, is to try to lay out for the public in a clear way what the end of the declaration does and does not mean. We're going to ask, of course, Dr. Shanita Knighton about that and how we can continue to protect ourselves against uh, COVID, the flu, um, RSV, the tridemic, as they're calling it. So we got a lot to talk about today in Ukraine. Russia has potentially lost up to half of its operational tank fleet since the start of the Ukraine war, or about 1,500 tanks, according to information uh, collected by Oryx, a monitoring group that has been collecting visual evidence of military equipment losses in Ukraine since Russia's invasion began. Tanks have been a major focus of the conflict and are seen as key for either country to take territory on the battlefield. The day before the suspected Chinese spy balloon into U.S. airspace over Alaska, the Defense Intelligence Agency quietly sent an internal report that a foreign object was headed toward U.S. territory, officials told CNN. The report was shared through classified channels accessible across the U.S. government, but it was not flagged as an urgent warning, and top defense and intelligence officials who saw it were not immediately alarmed by it, according to sources. Instead of treating it as an immediate threat, the U.S. moved to investigate the object, seeing it as an opportunity to observe and collect intelligence. And those are just some of the headlines on the San Peter Jackson show. But we've got Pastor Darius Brooks, of course, of Great Central Church in Westchester, Illinois. Before you give us the good news, you know, every week I ask you about all of these people that you are feeding. Please let us know how we can get these meals ourselves, because as you shared with us, people in luxury automobiles are lining up. People are struggling out here. People who, 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck if they have one. And uh, half of Americans who make $100,000 a year or more are struggling, living from paycheck to paycheck. It's tight out here. It's really tight. Most Americans who work a waged job cannot afford to rent in the cities in which they work. It's tough out here. So, and he is meeting those needs, but I want to know specifically when we can get this food, and then after that, go right into the good news, Pastor Darius Burke. Good morning, Santita. 102.16 South Kitchener Street, Westchester. Elias Grace Central Church, Tuesday and Tuesday at 5 o'clock till 7 o'clock. And at the Wednesday for seniors from 12 noon till 2. Again, that's Grace Central Church. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Burke. Are you on an earpiece? Uh, I I'm I, I'm I am. Can you okay, hear me? if you could, that that's kind of distorting the sound of it, and I want people to hear everything that you say, everything. Okay, is that better? Oh my gosh! Is that yes, is that, absolutely. Is that better? So again, how can we get this? How can we? When are you serving this food and passing out these groceries? 
Monica every Tuesday at Great Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, is for the public. And then Wednesdays we do for the seniors from 12 noon till 2. That's Great Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street in Westchester, Illinois. It's run off of 290 and Mannheim every Tuesday from 5 till 7. Since then, we ain't going to stop. We're going to keep doing it because this is one of the reasons we could keep doing it. Uh, uh, Genesis 13, 17 to 18. Genesis 13, 17 to 18. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land. Pay attention for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near great trees of memory at Hamlet, where he pitched his tent there, where he built an altar unto the Lord. Uh, essentially, if I had to use a thought for today, it's needed at the altar. We must be able to recognize when we're seeing things or dealing with things that could possibly slow us down or hold us back. And the first person is because we have to pay attention to ourselves because they're our choices. First step is the shift of excuses. We're incredible people. You're incredible the way God created you to be by his word, not by us, by our fingernails and hair and nails. And if we're stuck, think of creative ways to fulfill this mission. It's needed at the altar. If you're being seduced, you're being seduced first by you, by allowing what's not healthy for you to be a part of your journey and choices, as well by people who know your self-interest. And if you give in to what seduces you, self-interest, you'll always end up with undesirable results. Whatever you're doing or deserving or desiring to have, you want it to begin at the altar. You want to make sure every direction that you go to, you take it to the altar. The altar is a place of prayer. Oftentimes we go through hurtful experiences and, and throughout the, everything we deal with, it's tough. Because it feels nice to have someone you can trust and confide in. When you know, I was listening to you talking about Turkey, how people like there's no hope. You have to have something or someone to believe in. If you don't, there is no hope. More often than not, it's hard to trust someone. Often we feel like we're alone and we can't put nothing in front of nobody. And it's true, everybody you cannot talk to, Tantita. But God is telling you to pay attention everywhere. Pay attention to everybody. Pay attention to you. Pay attention to your steps because he will put you in the right place at the right time to position you with the right kind of people. Santi, I want to close with this. There was two wolves in the old Cherokee told his grandson. Uh, it, it was two wolves in the old Cherokee told his grandson. My son, there's a battle between two wolves inside of all of us. <laughs> One is evil. It is anger, jealousy, greed, resentment, uh, inferiority, lies, and ego. The other is a good joy, peace, love, human kindness, empathy, and truth. The boy thought about it and asked his father, Dad or Granddaddy, which wolf wins? And the grandfather said, Son, the one you feed. Whatever you're going through this feel that's making you feel like you cannot make this. Trust me when I tell you, I'm 60 years old, April 30th. I've been through a lot in my life. What has gotten me through is taking everything that I deal with to the altar. When you take it to the altar, you let that go and let God 
the the day you were born and the day you died is a dash. The day you were before you were born, God had everything in control. And the day you died, you died today. He still got everything scripted. Our responsibility in this dash is to take everything to the altar. It's needed at the altar. I love that. I love that. Leave it there. What do they say? Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. I oftentimes take them back, and then you, then that's when you're crunchy. So then you know something's wrong if your disposition is bad, even if it's only in your head. So so everybody, hello to Antho from the French man. I'm sending you much love. I love France. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love you, Pastor Darius Brooks. I love it. Are you on tour very quickly with the Tommies? We are. As a matter of fact, I don't know how you know that, but absolutely, I'm doing radio interviews down here in Houston as we speak. And then starting March, we'll be in Florida, we'll be in St. Louis, New York. Uh, God is really blessing this. New CD is dropping and will be completed by end of March. We are excited. <laughs> Until you come to Chicago, Michigan, Ohio, somewhere in this region so we can all get out there. But, of course, always let us know because, you know, we have people from all over the country who are listening to the show and who want to get out and be with the Tommy. If you want to really, really have a wonderful worship experience, get there with Pastor Darius Brooks and the Tommy. Sending you so much love. Sending you, I love you, Darius. I love you more. I love you. Love, Dasha, and I love First Lady Deborah. Give them my love. Give them my love. You know, we've got Dr. Shanita Knight here. Talk with her. Um... My question is about the, uh, I need to know about the end of the pandemic, you know, because there is, I just read a story that the Biden administration will soon release a roadmap to transition the U.S. out of the COVID-19 public health emergency. Uh, What can we do um, to transition ourselves, specifically to prevent infection. I mean, because, you know, we've had to be retrained, and it's something that, because we're grown people, you have to let people know every day, remind people every day of the things that we need to do as as we officially transition out of a pandemic while we're still in it. Dr. Knight, what can we do to protect ourselves as we're transitioning out of at least the official response to the pandemic, although it's still out here? Good morning, Santita. And to your case in point, it is still out here. Prime example is I actually got a notice from my kids' school that they were having more than usual cases than what they had anticipated. And as we know, flu season typically peaks somewhere between December and March. And so because they are seeing an uptick of those numbers, they have gone back to um, implementing masks in school, whereas before it was mask optional. So the concern is, is the release of this plan this early then makes people think that we're ending it right now. And it's the semantics of it, right? Of If you know that it's getting ready to end, you may end something too early. And my concern is that we are still in the peak of flu season um, for this plan to be released like right now. And again, as I always say, these disclaimers and opinions are on behalf of Dr. Shanina Knight and not any organization, but that is my concern in regards to how people think. So 
something else to consider as well is when you think about where we are right now. Before H1N1, we were on a trend of about every 10 to 30 years for us to experience a pandemic. There was nine years in between the time that um, H1N1 happened and SARS-CoV-2 happened. And so with that nine years, us also understanding that there is environmental changes that can ensue, we want to make sure that we stay ready so we don't have to get ready. Anytime that we've heard about Marburg disease, when we've heard about the resurgence of um, polio in New York, when we've heard about the resurgence of Ebola in certain areas. We hear about Canada Oris amongst older adults, which has, you know, a 30 to 50% fatality. When you hear these things and you understand how dangerous they are, it is recognizing that at any point in time, any of these things can break out. It can occur to where it becomes a breakout. And the breakout then becomes an epidemic, which is in one uh, country, and then a pandemic because it's spanning across multiple countries. And so with that, as we are transitioning out, think through what are the preventative measures that you've been taking that may have contributed to you being sick less? and say, how do I incorporate this into my daily living? And right now, unfortunately, when people think something is over, you hope that they have learned something. You hope that they take something within their toolbox. And I'm just reminding people that, yes, cell phones are still your third hand. They are very dirty. So it's important to make sure that you're cleaning them. It's important to make sure that you are cleaning your hands. It is important to make sure that you are conscious about the company that you keep. Meaning now people have learned that if someone comes to dinner and say, oh, I'm sneezing, it's just allergies, or I got cold, they know that they should be looking more into it. So I'm hoping that as we transition out, people have learned these lessons. Hmm. Everybody, we're still in the pandemic, although the government officially is ending um, the public emergency. But it is still of urgency in your life. Please take care of yourself. Go to Hey Dr. Nina. Hey Dr. Nina. That is her social media handle. You will get so much great information. You'll see a video on how to wash your hands. Yes, this is the way you wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. You need to see it, really. Um, and so many helpful hints. A lot of little things that we don't even think about because we're not conscious of them. You know? So think about that, everybody. I want you to know um, that we love you, Dr. Nina, Dr. Shanina, and we appreciate you and respect you so much. I've gotten so much wonderful feedback, and I love what you put out there about the second anniversary of your being part of the Santita Jackson Show family. Thank you, girl. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> well, for better or for worse, honey. You're ours. <laughs> we love you. But you know what? There's something that's very disturbing. We'll be talking about child labor. They are, the Republicans are trying to pass a law that will put 14-year-old children in harm's way. Yeah, put them in dangerous jobs. Have them at 14 and a half driving themselves to work because of a labor shortage. Are you serious? <laughs> that's what Walter Santita Jackson showed just a minute. 
This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Let's talk about what some critics are calling the reprehensible Iowa bill to expand child labor because of a child labor because of a labor shortage in Iowa. Yeah, so instead of going to other states and finding grown people who are looking for work, they're going to look for children as young as 14 and put them in some jobs that are ha- that could be very, that could be quite hazardous, um, that would put them in harm's way. They could lose limbs. They could lose their lives. They are even going to promote to go along with this bill. Children as young as 14 and a half years of age driving by themselves so they can get to work and make money for these corporations. Shame on them. We're going to be talking about that very, very shortly. But first up, uh, Shapiro, Celebrations by Us, is having a big event, and she needs your support. It's a scholarship fund uh, in memory of her son. Talk to us. When is it, Shapiro, and where is it? Yes, Santita, thank you so much. We are having our annual gala at the JLM Community Center, March 3rd, 2023 at 7 p.m. So we're asking everyone to come out and support this great cause. Every money, all of the money raised will be going for our scholarship fund for the Courtney Copeland Memorial Foundation. Each year we give out scholarships to uh, needy kids who actually need the help in getting to college. And we started this fund basically because one of the you know things that Courtney couldn't do was go to college because he didn't have enough money to attend college. So we started this in his honor to help other kids who may need some additional assistance in getting to uh, get into college and completing college. So it's open. Uh, we start opening the applications in June of the, uh, so that they, kids can apply. So we're asking everyone to come out and support this gala so that that way we can send more kids away to college. And uh, you can visit www.copelandmemorial.com to purchase your tickets, www.copelandmemorial.com. And if you can't attend, please consider donating a ticket to families who have lost a child because we do honor them as well at the, um, at the gala. So give us a call at 708-628-7734 or go to com. Thank you so much, Santita. And what is the date again and the address? Yes, it's at the JLM Community Center, and that is 2622 West Jackson, Chicago, Illinois, 60612, and the date is March 3rd, 2023. All right, all right, all right. Sending you much love, everybody. Shapiro needs that support. And these young people, they gave out three wonderful scholarships to a rainbow of of children last year. Uh, Young people, uh, an African-American, Hispanic-American, Asian-American. They're doing a lot of great work, and we're so grateful for them. Hey, everybody. Critics are slamming a reprehensible Iowa bill to expand child labor, everybody. Some people are calling it crazy, according to the president of the Iowa Federation of Labor, uh, the AFL-CIO. Uh, 
It's a business-backed bill, everybody, introduced by Republican state lawmakers in Iowa, of course, farming and, and, um, and all of these factories that take care of, of our meat. And so much is in Iowa. So much, of, so much that gives us sustenance comes out of Iowa in this part of the country. Uh, they now want to back, roll back labor laws so that teens as young as 14 years of age can work in previously prohibited jobs, including mining, logging, animal slaughtering. That's right. It is crazy, everybody. According to the Des Moines Register, uh, it, this proposed law, proposed law contains an entirely new section that would allow the Iowa Workforce Department and State Department of Education to make exceptions to any of the prohibited jobs for teens 14 to 17. The new Iowa bill but also completely lift the ban on 14 and 15-year-olds working in freezers, meat coolers, and allow kids as young as 14 and a half to drive themselves to work. Other dangerous jobs would have exemptions, but you know this is dangerous. And this comes amid a lingering labor shortage in Iowa. It expands the hours that these kids would work. It shields businesses from liability if a minor employee is sickened, injured, or killed as a result of the company's negligence. I had to bring this to you because it is crazy, but it's, and it's 2023, and this bill could go through. And if it goes through in Iowa, I mean, they're already having a struggle over this in Nebraska. They're struggling over this in the Congo because Tesla and other Everyone who needs a battery has to go through the Congo because that's where vital minerals that give us the batteries are. And they're using child labor to go mine those minerals. So this is a, this is a global problem, but let's look at what's happening here in the United States of America. Iowa, Nebraska, it's happening everywhere. So let's talk about this. We've got... Um, <laughs> Dwight McKee, and we're going to have attorney C.K. Hoffman shortly. We've got Aaron Connolly. We have got to talk with you about this particular uh, about this particular issue. We've got attorney Robert Patillo. Um, I've just I was just so stunned when I saw this. But you know, let me bring it, bring you up, attorney Patillo. What do you make of this? Well, thank you, Ms. Santita. This is just another situation uh, where uh, these companies are trying to find ways to cut labor costs uh, but not have to pay the employees. They still want the same level of production, uh, particularly when it comes to unskilled labor, uh, without having to raise wages to a living wage. We've seen across the country the fight for 15 for the past uh, decade and a half to the point that it's taken so long to get the $15 an hour. $15 an hour is no longer worth uh, $15 an hour uh, across the country. In re- reality, what minimum wage will probably be closer to $25 an hour. Uh, or as I have suggested since I was in high school, that the minimum wage will be geofence from a particular area and indexed to be at 120% of wherever the poverty line is. And that way you don't have to go through this whole rigmarole of trying to change it every few years. But instead of simply uh, allocating more resources to ensuring you can have a well-trained uh, and survivable labor force, they would rather change the law so that you can bring in child labor because you can pay them less money. Uh, and they have, have expanded this out because normally 
in Iowa and in, in most other states, you can have quote unquote child labor for things like working fast food, you know, uh, flipping burgers, filling French fry bags, those sorts of things, doing a paper route. That's appropriate child labor. Uh, they want to have these kids now working with uh, guillotine machines, deep freezers, uh, uh, dangerous farm equipment, etc. Uh, and the reason for this is very clear because they're trying to cut labor costs and they're willing to endanger children in order to to do so is not just crazy, is reprehensible. And the idea that somebody would even think of this in 2023 uh, just shows you how uh, uh, defunct our capitalistic system is currently because they're willing to put corporate profits ahead of the lives of children. And I'm going to a time where these are the same people, the same party that will claim to be quote unquote pro life. Uh, yeah, you're pro life unless it comes to some children. It's unbelievable. Aaron Connolly, attorney Aaron Connolly, what do you make of this? Well, I was so heartened to see this come up. I read this terrible story yesterday, and of course, you are talking about it on the Santita Jackson show this morning. And for me, this story is personal. Um, I know that sounds strange to say, but my great-grandmother had to leave school, and she worked in the Westinghouse factory when she was 11 years old. She never got to go back to school. Her family was extremely poor. She wanted to do her part. Her mother was ill, and so she, at that point in time, there were not the same type of regulations that we have now that prohibits this type of behavior, and the corporate entities gladly employed these willing children in dangerous jobs uh, like the factory that she worked in. And I know her experience, which is, is I, I don't imagine very different from any of, of the children um, in the article that suffered very serious chemical burns in the incident in question that um, and with this law are are their lives and well-being are put at risk not only from a developmental perspective of not being in school being exhausted being forced to work but in dangerous places like factories like um, these facilities we're talking about where they are working with dangerous chemicals we don't know the impact on how that in, how that affects development in children and these these Children are children. They are still growing. They are still developing. Their brains are not fully formed yet. Their bodies are not fully formed yet. And to expose them to these chemicals, to dangerous situations, and to take out any of the duty of care and liability protections that we're expected to have um, is just mind-boggling in this day and age. Now, furthermore, I, I think it is important to note that many of the children in question in this incident that was you know, spurred this on and then um, are Spanish speaking. So there is a language barrier um, from what the majority language is spoken at this corporation in the state of Iowa. And clearly there, there's an important component uh, to dig into on that front. But um, we've come a long way since 1938 with regards to protecting our children and making sure that at least in theory, every child in America is is protected and gets the same kind of start that they're not having to worry about working in a steel mill or cleaning up uh, an animal slaughter facility, that they're actually able to go to school and be children and have a, a, a type of, of, of life that, um, you know, their parents really wish for them. It is the reality in America that many kids do have to work. 
But as you mentioned, and as Robert mentioned, the jobs that that we often think about are babysitting or uh, working at fast food, things like that. Opening this up is a dangerous, dangerous place to start. And it ultimately, um, as Robert eloquently pointed out, hurts families even more because you're you're not paying these children what that labor is actually worth. And so you're abusing them on many different fronts. You know, this is what we're talking to you on Dwight McKee. We, you know, we grabbed C.K. Hoffler, you know, who filed these class action lawsuits and who looks at issues just like these. I mean, Attorney C.K. Hoffler, this is just, it just takes me back to slavery. I mean, these are kids who could be as young as 14 and a half who would, uh, this this law would allow them to drive themselves to work. They'd be able to work in mining and logging and animal uh, slaughtering. Uh, they could work in freezers and meat coolers, as, as Robert said, you know, by guillotines. I mean, they could be killed. And th- this business back bill would allow the companies of any, any fault. You know, I mean, there's... This is just unbelievable. I mean, they could expand their work hours. Instead of putting these children in school, and as Aaron pointed out, many of them have a language barrier, and many of them are, they're Americans, or they're here. They're here. We offer people citizenship if they offer themselves to be killed. I mean, this is unbelievable to me. This is just unbelievable. Thank you. This is unbelievable. It's reprehensible. It's disgusting. It's un-American. It is something that is, and I want to get to the heart of what it really means. Because these these children will be in slave labor, let's just call it that, slave labor and slavery, they will be working as employees. If they are injured, and when they are injured, it's not if, it's when they're injured, the companies will be shielded from great liability. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. If they're injured, it would be a workers' compensation case at best. Workers' compensation. So they have some protections, very little, as workers. But what does that mean? Let's suppose a child dies, is, is on one of these job sites and dies. In a workers' compensation case, a death, a life, an arm, a leg, a finger, a head, is worth something, $10,000, $15,000, $1,000, whatever the medical bills are. There are limitations and restrictions on what you can recover. And so by having them as employees in slavery, child labor like this, the companies are shielding themselves from wrongful death action, from injury claims, because all they'd have to pay would be the minuscule amount of money if these children are injured or died. That is how this is criminal, because not only are they forcing these kids or providing for these kids to be in slave labor, concentration camps, that's what I call them, taking us back to one of, gosh, we have so many dark moments in this country, but then they are shielded from liability because any injury or death will be treated with such minute compensation for the family that that is where I believe the criminality, the intentionality comes in. And I predict there will be class actions surrounding this. This is, un- this is unbelievable. Is there anything that can be done um, 
to change this? I mean, I mean, what is there anything? I mean, you know, because this is happening in Nebraska, uh, Tesla is being called out because they need to use child labor. In, and everybody has, everyone uses a battery, has to use child labor. In, well, they're using, they don't have to, they're using child labor in the Congo because you can't get a battery made without vital minerals that have to go in the batteries and they come out of the Congo. I mean, this is not just a local issue, it's not just a national issue, it's a global issue. We're using it's children, okay? It's a, I mean, it's a global issue, but let's look at Iowa and Nebraska, let's look at what's happening here. This is supposed to happen in the United States. Well, this is a global issue. This is an issue that's global ramifications. It's just like the what happens in in China as well in terms of child labor. Yeah. But focus on what here in the U.S. What can be done? Executive orders can be done. Acts of Congress can be done. This is a state mm-hmm. issue, and states have the right. They have sovereignty. They have the right to be able to implement laws as they seem fit. But if they're unconstitutional. Or if there's some other reason, violation of a risk, violation of child labor laws, violation of federal statutes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, litigation can be initiated to challenge these laws, and that's what needs to happen. Class actions on behalf of those affected parties, that's what needs to happen to enter the So the recourse is going through the legal system, which is a long process, but it can be expedited, and ultimately it should be kicked up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And, of course, we know that could be wrought with problems as well because of the, the slanting of the U.S. Supreme Court. They may feel this is completely constitutional, whereas I believe it's unconstitutional. And Clarence Thomas would write the decision. That's a tragedy. <laughs> Dwight McKee, what do you make of this? I mean, it's like we never learned. We had, were on land we didn't pay for, took it from the indigenous people. The country was built by labor that the country didn't pay for, and please don't tell me your family didn't hold slaves. The country was built by people who were enslaved. If you came here, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. Everybody got a piece of slavery. Everybody benefited from it. Next, Dwight McKee, what do you make of this law that could go through? Well, there's no accident that these are two of the whitest states in the Union. Is that part of the issue is they will, because of the immigration crises, they want to make sure they lock out grown colored people who could do the work. And so they are reduced to having to use young, mostly white kids uh, to do the work that grown people would need to do and get paid to do. Uh, secondly, it, TK did it pretty much on the head. TK did in terms of also indemnifying themselves for many lawsuits because they know that a lot of these kids are going to get hurt and some is going to get maimed, some are going to get killed. It takes you back to the premises that the country is founded upon, which is cheap labor at any cost, that... uh, Sinclair Lewis in the crowd really fought so hard to reverse. I think we are going right back, you know, to those days if we're not careful. I think some possible uh, options for, for protest is I think that some of the Democratic governors and Democratic mayors 
should pass ordinances that any product made by child labor uh, can't be sold in their states. It's, we have to almost go back to the days of apartheid in South Africa where we put restrictions on many of the products that they made in South Africa uh, under racist policies that any products made of, or created from child labor is illegal to be sold or bought in the laboring states. So there has to be some economic consequences to this violation. The goal of it is to make more profits. And so you have to take the profits out of it in order to resolve it. It, it can't be done morally because the people who try to introduce the legislation are amoral. And because you have, you know, a very Republican conservative Supreme Court, and in many uh, places like our uh, very conservative, uh, mostly wealthy state legislator, they will probably support the legislation because it creates more money for them. And again, you're dealing with amoral people. And so people of goodwill have to take it upon themselves to build in the consequences and to not buy the products and force these companies out of business. Why, why are you taking this to morality? Why? Uh, because because you're, you're dealing with amoral people. You're dealing with people who don't operate in the context of morality as we understand morality to be. No moral person is going to put a 14-year-old in a, in a mind who is not, whose body is not fully enough developed to be able to address all of those issues that come with spending four, five, six, seven, eight hours in a, in a coal mine. Uh, who's probably, by the time they're going to be 16, have lung disease. No more person is going to do that. No moral person is going to put a child at risk around uh, tools that, in fact, become weapons because they don't have a dexterity or the understanding of how to use them. No moral person is going to have a 14-year-old driving a tractor and putting his life at risk. Uh, the actor last week who was driving his snowplow and it crashed and he had to, he, he broke the 30 bones was a grown man and, and almost lost his life because he didn't correctly operate a tractor. So imagine a 14-year-old child trying to do that every day in the snow, in the ice, in the rain. No moral person is going to do that. So this is not, can't be dealt with morally because you're not dealing with moral people. It has to be the people who have a moral uh, sense of things have 
to become the, the, the perpetuators in this, the advocate for the children and, yeah. and decide not by the products that these people make. Amen. CK, I know you've got to run. I've got a little bit more than a minute. Can you put a bow on? Well, not a bow, but, you know, kind of tie things up as you see them. What? What's next? Well, what's next is in those states, the citizens have to fight this because if it passes, there will be a national movement to make this the new norm. And that would be a travesty beyond words. This has to be thought. We have to thought. We have to keep our eye on this. Child labor is slavery. And the laws could enable this to happen because it would be a workers' compensation case. It's like the Pinto case. They knew that the cars were defective. They did a cost-benefit analysis and said, yeah, thousand people will die. That'll cost us about, you know, $100,000 versus the million dollars it would cost to change the parts that would be a state vehicle. That's what this is. Putting profits before children. And it needs to be stopped. Attorney C.K. Hoffler, everybody, what do you think about these laws? What do you think about this law? Guess what? It could go through. It could. Think about that and think about what that would mean to America. I mean, the fact is, the fact that it's, it, the fact that it is now getting written and that it's being fought for ought to really unsettle you in 2023 in the United States of America. Any place in the world but here, Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show, call me at 773-763-9278. Let's talk about child labor in America, in Iowa today. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Thursday, February 9, 2023, the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. The Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel, everybody, please join that, and please share this show. The Santita Jackson and Friends page, share the show, like and share the show, everybody, like and share the show. Want to know your thoughts about child labor? Well, we thought it was gone. No, 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 these sweatshops, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Republicans, and I would say just pro-business uh, politicians, well, corporations who use politicians in the Democratic and Republican parties are pushing this. It has a Republican face in Iowa, but trust and believe. A lot of folks, if you don't fight it, you're with it. Fourteen and a half year olds working in in meat at the at, at slaughterhouses, working in the in the freezers. Are you kidding? making exceptions for 14-and-a-half-year-olds to drive themselves to work. To work. Think of how vulnerable your child is. For heaven's sake, we had had scandal of a sexual nature on Capitol Hill. What do you think is going to happen in these factories to these children? Yeah, I'm going right there. Let's stay there. This is awful. It's a horrible idea. It's horrific. 
So call me at 773-763-9278 and speak with Robert Cotillo, attorney Aaron Conley, attorney Robert Cotillo, who's on WAOK every Sunday from 1 to 4 Eastern Standard Time, and Dwight McKee. And um, I want to know what your thoughts are. I want to know what your thoughts are. So before we do that, you know, we've got to get some amazing fun on the Santita Jackson Show. If it's foggy out and if it's foggy outside of your window, you're not dreaming. It's going to be rainy and snowy in Chicago today. High of 43 degrees, though. In Minneapolis, St. Paul, 35 degrees and cloudy. Wow. Kevin Durant is gone to Phoenix. They say he might win a championship there. Wow. Everybody's leaving. It was supposed to be Harden and Durant and Irving. Wow. That was quick. And, of course, Kyrie Irving is no longer with the Nets. Well, all right, everybody. The Timberwolves, 143. The Jazz, 118. The Bulls will be playing the Nets tonight. And in the NHL, well, Chicago had it on, had time off last night. But the Stars bested the Wild 4-1. to one. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Kansas City, Philadelphia, who you got, everybody? Well, you just stick around for the show. I don't know. Everybody, call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I want to know what your thoughts are about uh, about child labor. Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. More than 16,000 people have been killed by this earthquake in Turkey and Syria. 16,000 people and counting everybody. 5,000 people in one day were found yesterday. We are praying for the people of Turkey and Syria. The Biden administration will soon release a roadmap to transition out of the COVID-19 public health crisis. The public health emergency connected to COVID-19 will end May 11th, everybody. What will that mean? The goal of this roadmap is to help guide us out of the pandemic. It's to try to lay out the public, lay out for the public in a clear way what the end of this declaration is going to mean for us in practical terms. Uh, it means they want you back in the office, everybody. No more work from home. All right, so there's, that's going to just business runs its place. Russia has potentially lost up to half of its operational tank fleet since the start of the Ukraine war, or about 1,500 tanks, according to information collected by Oryx, a monitoring group that has been collecting this evidence of military equipment losses in Ukraine since the beginning of this war. A day before the suspected Chinese spy balloon entered U.S. airspace over Alaska, the Defense Intelligence Agency quietly sent an email, a report that said foreign a foreign object was headed toward the United States. The report was shared through classified channels, but it wasn't flagged as an urgent warning. And top defense and the intelligence officials who saw it weren't immediately alarmed by it, according to sources. Instead of treating it as an immediate threat, the U.S. moved to investigate the object, seeing it as an opportunity to observe and collect intelligence. And those are some of the headlines, everybody. You know what? I want you to save some money. I want you to make some money. You need to reach out to Team Hochberg if you are trying to sell a home or purchase a home. They can help you to save thousands of dollars. If you're selling your home, if you're purchasing a new home and you would like to save thousands of dollars, you need to call Team Hochberg at 855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID, or visit them at 56david.com, 56david.com. They're offering everyone their perks and work program. 
It's a benefit that will go through the end of April, everybody, where you can save thousands of dollars the next time you buy or sell your home. This is how it works. When a Team Hochberg-affiliated realtor sells your home, they'll reduce their fee up to 1%. When a Team Hochberg-affiliated realtor helps you to purchase your home, you will move, you will receive up to 1% of their commission as a closing cost credit. That is thousands of dollars, everybody. Team Hochberg will credit the lo- their loan origination fee as a closing cost, and their affiliated attorney will reduce their fee. Thousands of dollars, everybody. There's a couple that saved close to $9,000 using this Perks at Work program, and it could be you, everybody. It could be you. It should be you. So to learn how to save all of this money, I want you to call 855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID, or go to 56david.com, 56david.com, and save that money. All right, everybody, we have been talking about this child labor, the expansion of child labor in Iowa. You see it in Nebraska. What about these right-to-work states? Is that where this is going to spread, which are primarily in the South? This is a business-backed bill that will allow children as young as 14 years of age to work in slaughterhouses, in freezers, uh, in mining and logging, in I mean, these are jobs that are prohibited from them now because they're so young. It will allow them to drive themselves to work at 14 and a half years of age. Yeah. So what do you think about that? And it will it would absolve these corporations of any responsibility if people get sick, if these children get sick, if they're injured, or if they're killed as a result of a company's negligence. I can't help but wonder what happened to the choice officer who if you didn't show up for school, because at a certain age you're supposed to be in school, whatever, where is that process? So I guess you're telling these kids they don't need to get an education. Are you serious right now? Call me at 773-763-9278. But first, my board op, Jewel, you have a story. I mean, we just heard, of course, we heard uh, from Attorney Aaron Conlon. We've got Attorney Robert Cattell and Dwight McKee. Uh, but... Erin was sharing the story of her family story. We all have these stories where our four parents worked as children. Jewel, what happened in your family? Thank you so much, Santita, for uh, letting me come on this morning. So, yeah, it was really, um, it, it struck a nerve with me when um, Attorney Connolly was on earlier. So my grandfather, um, he was a about 11 or 12 in the 1950s. Um, and he was put into foster care when he was about 11 or 12 years old. Um, his mother had died. And uh, he only had about a fifth grade education. And he left school and um, he started farming. He started, you know, plowing, driving a plow, driving a tractor and doing hard labor. And then he joined the National Guard um, at 14 years old. Um, Granted, I'm pretty sure he lied about his age. I think he had to be 16 at the time. But the fact that nobody, everybody just turned a blind eye back then. And, you know, my grandpa came up to Illinois in the 60s. He was from Mississippi. This was in Mississippi back in the 50s. He came to Illinois in the 60s and started having a family. And I can say, you know, my grandpa just passed a couple years ago and he was the patriarch of our family and it affected our entire family's outlook on 
work and education. And I mean, my entire family, you know, a lot of them either weren't at their high school graduation. None of them got a college degree. Um, and it, and it had lasting impacts. So, um, I really just wanted to talk about that and say, this is the kind of thing that if we put into law, it's going to have lasting effects and we don't know how long it will be before we're able to reverse it. Well, you know, it robs you, as you're saying, of generational wealth. Absolutely. We had no generational wealth, and and that was a main reason. This is... So when you grow up Tulsa, you understand what why African Americans are like. Are you serious? When you steal from indigenous people their land and the oil underneath it and the minerals underneath it, you know, you wonder why the Rockefellers are so rich, the Rothschilds and everybody else. I'm like, really? Come on, y'all. So, you know, everybody, everybody's supposed to be poor, but you? Mm-mm. Something about this is not right. Let me go to David from Michigan. David, what's on your mind? Thank you, Jewel, for sharing that. Um, yes, um, I'm getting a clear picture of this uh, and listening to you talk about this issue. Um, this is reminding me of, if you remember back in the 90s, the Aryan Nation and the Order and Paz Comitatus, who came out of the Iowa-Nebraska area, the neo-Nazi movements. This reminds me of something of that order in and I wonder how many of these legislators, especially these Republicans, are member are former members of these groups. And it, it reminds me of Nazi Germany. And uh, if I, you know, and and people think it can't happen here, baloney, it can happen. See, the first thing they David, do David, is pick. David, hold on. I'm feeling you, and I, I don't, I don't, I'm not stopping you. But I just want to say we don't have to go to Nazi Germany. It already happened here. It's called slavery. It happened here. Yes. We, you know, we don't have to leave the United States to see the most heinous things that have happened to anyone. They happened here already. Nazi Germany studied the United States like South Africans studied the Jim Crow system so they could figure out what to do with the undesirables, if you will. And even when they brought Nazi POWs to the United States, there's a wonderful book, Hitler's American Model. They, the Nazi POWs were shocked by the treatment of African-Americans in the United States. They said, we don't even do this over. There. You can't make this stuff up, David. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's why telling these stories of enslavement, they're not black stories. They're, they're America stories. Talking about the indigenous yeah. people. No, this is, this is the American story, right? You know what I'm saying? Yes, and um, I, I get what you're saying. See, this is the second time around for this is what it sounds like. This is coming to again, and this is going to be, you know, it's not just going to be uh, African-Americans, and it's going to be this time enslaved and, and eliminated. Disabled people are going to be a part mm-hmm. of this, too. Um, right. If you, um, and this makes me wonder about these Republicans, how many of them are uh, in, uh, were former members of Pos- and the order in the Iowa-Nebraska area. 
and uh, with their, you know, with their ideas of, you know, not just racial superiority, but to do away with anybody that's disabled. Um, this is what it is, you know, and this is a, this is a, you know, a part of it. These Republicans, they don't fool me with their so-called right to, they believe in uh, life. You know, the baby went inside the womb. They could care less about it once it gets outside the womb, if you want to know the truth. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, but uh, David, I, Dwight, this, you and I know Robert want to grab this, and I'm sure Aaron's like a pit bull. What about this? What about that thinking? Because, Dwight, you said you're not surprised that you were seeing this, these cases pop up in, in, uh, in Nebraska, that we're seeing them pop up in, in Iowa. Um, what's, what's going on, Dwight? What do you think about what David is saying? Uh, I, I think he's right on point. I think that it's, uh, you know, very conspiratorial, very suspect, and, uh, and again, immoral, immoral. Uh, uh, the tragedy is that most of these farmers are not wishing, uh, don't desire to risk their own children. They will use the children of the poor and the desperate to uh, secure their lives. And again, part of the solution would be to bring in other the farm workers from either South America, many of them were used to doing this work, but then you brown the uh, the state. And, of course, they don't want that. They don't want a real integrated state. They would rather have a state going back 50 years, 100 years. And uh, the reason that we put together high schools was to pull children out of the, the labor market. There was a reason for high schools. Um, and to bring in other, you know, the, the more mature ethnic groups to work to to work into those jobs. Now they want to reverse it because they want the best of both worlds. They want to keep the state white, but also take advantage of cheap and immoral. I mean, it's unbelievable, Robert, to tell us. I mean, I just, um, and you know, it's like we haven't learned anything. You know, you hear, you hear Aaron's, the story of her four parents, you hear a jewel, the story of their four parents. I mean, the story of our four parents. That's why I said, you know, David, I hear you. But you don't have to go to Nazi Germany to stay right here in this soil. This is what we did. That's what slavery, that's what slavery was. That's what indentured servitude is. I mean, that's what it is. Robert? Well, well, absolutely, and I, I think it's important to understanding uh, beyond the moral aspect of it, uh, we have to look at the business aspect of it. Think about how much money these companies can save uh, by effectively hiring children to do the work of grown adults. Think about what it does to the labor market in general to add uh, the tens of thousands of young children to the labor markets from poor families who need the additional income for their household. Uh, well, now they're competing against adults for those uh, uh, 
uh, for those jobs, meaning that wages across the board could be impacted by the sudden influx of young children entering the labor market. So be, beyond what they're attempting to do and the harm that can come to these children, uh, when they should be enjoying childhood, playing games and extracurricular activities concentrated on schools, we are effectively taking young, uh, poor children and taking their focus away from academics that can pay off in the long run and force them to work uh, full-time jobs or part-time jobs in the interim. But also, we are depressing wages for uh, for workers in many of these uh, fields across the board because now they'll have to compete against people who don't have children, don't have a 401k, don't have to pay rent and a mortgage. Uh, it's hard for you as a uh, as an adult uh, potential employee to outcompete a child uh, when it comes to low wages. So this is across the board attempt to break down the economic structure that currently exists. It's not as if they're going to take this money and reinvest it in the business, raise wages for employees. This money will just go directly into the owners' pockets and into buying back stock, etc. Uh, and they're willing to balance that on the back of children, which is just reprehensible. Okay. Um, yes? Yes. Um, I was just thinking, you know, as you're saying this, you know, the second time around for this, um, yeah, a lot of these, um, you know, these laws that they're, they're trying to enact. Now, you have a governor in Iowa who sent back millions, millions of dollars in stimulus money, saying that people did not need the stimulus money. Um, and she was on, let me think, the program. It was, uh, um, I believe it was uh, the National Public Radio talking about this, and people were trying to challenge her, and, the, and she had uh, police there where they're threatening to arrest the people. Aaron, what do you make of this? <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and Jewel is sending you... Aaron and you, Jewel, much love. I had forgotten. You know, you have you you had a twin here, Jewel, <laughs> from New York. <laughs> Again, but you know, this resonates with all of us, Aaron, because you know, I mean, I think as adults, you start looking back at your your foreparents and you say, "Wow, they they really did struggle to give me all these opportunities." And, and mm-hmm. it's like we've learned nothing, Aaron. I mean, I can't. Look, I think of, I think of your baby, your son. And I am like, well, I could not put that boy, yes, behind a car in a few years. I just couldn't do it. I think I'm going to have a nervous breakdown when he gets the license, but, you know, I've got a few years yet. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, but no, really. I mean, I can't imagine. It's, it's hard to think about our, our ancestors in that space of children, right? And we look at the labor protections that we we enjoy, right, that we think of as normal, that protect children from this exact scenario. Those weren't fully enacted until almost 1940, 1938. So, and it hasn't even been 100 years that those, have, those protections are in place, yet we're, we're now trying to find ways to walk them back. And, you know, Jewel, thank you so much for sharing your family's personal story, because I think you honed in on something important that we need to consider. It's not, and I think our generation, I think that the generations that are here now are thinking more globally about ourselves, about where we fit in our uh, family and how what we do right now affects that, that next generation, that we are the ancestors of the future, right? 
And there's a responsibility to ensure that the systems and structures that are put into place that are changed now are ones that empower those next generations, not put them back or uh, you know, there is still a traumatic system. I don't I don't want to misspeak and say that there isn't, but we don't have to make it worse. We don't have to make it harder. We don't have to add generational trauma that, that the kids of, of these families are going to have to overcome later. We don't have to create that trajectory where, where you spoke about that diminishes generational wealth, that, that takes opportunities away, right? Like I think about my great-grandmother, and had she not – had to leave school at eighth grade, what would she have been able to do differently in her life? How would that now have affected my life, right? Where where does, um, you know, the struggle end for, for a child, right? When, when when you're looking at your life and one day you're, you're playing in the street and playing ball and the next you're responsible at a multi-million dollar factory for not killing a child next to you. That's that. That's a really hard leap to make, and that in a child's brain, it, without the other risks, physically and mentally, is traumatic. It's stressful. It puts puts their brains in a flight or, fight or flight response that is very difficult to change once that is the normal, right? And it's unacceptable mm-hmm. for any child in this country to have to anticipate that type of life, whether they're 14, whether they live in Iowa, whether they live in Illinois, this entire United States of America should be a safe, empowering place to grow up. We cannot go backwards and go back to, to the 1930s um, style of, of the beginning of America to the beginning. And that's where we are. Corporations have, corporations have run this place. And we've got to stop this thing. You need to have a check on the oligarchs and the oligarchy. This, this is crazy. Coming up, I'm going to ask Dr. Wolf about this before we talk about the State of the Union and health care and the economy. We'll stay on real quick. We'll ask about this back in just a minute hey, on the same TV Jackson show. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. It's like we're in church today. Jewel, my board op, weighed in and gave a testimony about their family. Attorney Erin Connolly gave a testimony about her family and uh, Dwight uh, McKee, Attorney Robert Batillo, and I coming from people who were enslaved here and in this hemisphere. That's why Africans were brought over here. We all understand child labor because we're all descendants, each one of us, white, black, brown, yellow, and red, we are all descendants of child laborers. And the fact that Iowa is looking that the business community is using the Republicans and I would say business back to Democrats to enact a law that would put 14-year-old children in harm's way that would have them driving themselves to work, uh, that would absolve them of any responsibility if they were sick or sickened or injured on the job or killed. Shameful. Absolutely shameful. I want to get some, because, and of course, Dr. Wolf, you know what time it is, it's Thursday, bottom of the hour. We're talking with Dr. Max Wolf, brilliant economist, about the state of our union and health care. 
on wages. This kind of dovetails into that, Dr. Wood. Um, just, I mean, what do you what do you make of this Iowa bill? I mean, oh, the expansion of child labor in America today. I mean, because that's what we're looking at. We're looking at it in Iowa. We're seeing it in um, in Nebraska. Uh, the Tesla Corporation is under some fire because in order to get the batteries for their cars, they have to use, They have chosen uh, to use uh, child labor because you. If you want a battery, you got to go to the Congo. That's where the minerals are. I mean, talk to me. What? I mean, because that is part of the state of our union too, Doctor Wolf. Sure. Well, it does cast a new light on the anti-abortion fervor, right? Because you don't want to lose any low, low, low-cost worker to reproductive choice. But outside of of that potential spin on a traditional issue, look, I think we've seen. I, I would sort of break the debate slightly differently uh, without any, you know not by way of critique of anyone else, but I think we've had a massive amount of child labor all through our history and right up through the present. So this is more about legitimizing child labor and expanding it as opposed to introducing it. And we've seen a slow, in some cases, and quicker in others, erosion of these protections, whether it's you can put the kid to work in the family business or you can put the kid to work at a younger age in you know the summer or, right, we've seen a kind of erosion of childhood and the legal definition and attempts to protect childhood while patchy and unfair across income and race and other things, right? So it was never uniformly protected. But what we did protect about childhood is an artifice of a regulatory state and a big middle class which insisted on or tried to insist on some protections for their children as a way to build a better future. Now, you know, I do agree with the idea, so I'm not being critical of the idea, but the institutions and social movements and coalitions that built those protections have been in decline in many cases. And with that decline has come a pretty significant diminution of those protections. And I think we see that here too. I think we also see a really, like a really kind of boiling labor market here where we're not sure what the future is. And there's a big kind of standoff between employers and employees. Do wages have to go up, say as much as inflation, or are there other ways to fill those jobs? Especially now that we're not going to just send the jobs overseas as much. We may even be bringing some jobs back onshore can we keep those costs low? And, you know, people will begin to think about ways to do that. And as they do, anything that increases, excuse me, increased labor force is going to be interesting. And obviously that's going to include kids. I do think there's a weird moment too, where we have this weird obsession with talking about protecting kids coming out of a party that seems to be producing a large number of people who take an unholy special interest in kids and or want to see them executed for crimes or at work. So I also think we may be in a moment here where we're trying to figure out who gets to be a kid. Hmm. You know, we're talking with Dr. Max Wolf. We're talking about the state of our union, health care, wages. This is like the perfect convergence of this. But I have him take, give us his view of the state of the union and what all of this means. But before we pivot there, or what should I say, kind of move on over there, because we've got Attorney Robert Patillo, Dwight McKee, and, and of course we have your fan club, Attorney Aaron Connolly. You know, everybody, we're all here. And Jewel, the board op, who became a panelist today. I'm so happy, Jewel. Okay, you go. You go, Jewel. Let me go to Robert, who wants to talk about Nebraska. Robert, how you doing? 
Good. Good morning. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely about lowering wages, as Robert Patillo said. You know, in Nebraska, they've just introduced a minimum wage law uh, where if the child is, I think, 14 to 19, they would get paid a different minimum wage than other workers. Um, and then the other thing is, long after slavery ended, if we look at the Northeast, you know, whether it was fabric mills, or other types of manufacturing, you had children in those mills. You know, they were basically housed there. They had to buy their items at exorbitant rates from the company's store. And we saw a lot of children die in fires or be injured in machinery. And that's where a lot of these laws came from. Uh, I feel like the Republicans really want to go to a caste system where there's no upward mobility, no opportunity, uh, almost like the men that were brought over to Qatar to build the stadiums for the World Cup. They're housed in horrible mm-hmm. conditions, and uh, really there's no way to move your station up in life if you work hard. Because this is where we have to understand um, that, you know, injustice is colorless, it's odorless, it's, it is what it is. In America, we've racialized it, and I think we can't run away from that. That having been said, you know, I think part of the struggle of the civil rights movement is to have white people to understand that it means you too. <laughs> so because the power structure has lied to white folks and made them feel special. And it's like, no, 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 no. See, if it happens to me, it's going to happen to you. And in fact, it is happening to you. Therefore, we got the sweatshops and all of that. You're absolutely right, Robert. And um, just keep your eye. Um, on the Nebraskas, on the Iowas, and the right-to-work states, and all of these states, because I see, I see this creeping in, Robert. Don't you? I mean, I just see it creeping, creeping in. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for the time. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for listening. It, I mean, I feel it creeping in, and um, it's part of the culture. So what did, what did you see... With the with the State of the Union, uh, with respect to with respect to wages, with I mean because we always talk about the middle class, Doctor Walker. No one talks about the working class, and we certainly, you know, the poor don't even cross the lips of most of these elected officials. Uh, what did you hear on Tuesday night? Yeah, so look, I saw an attempt, which I thought was pretty well executed, to defend the sort of centrist Democratic Party's core promises and deliverables over the last 20 or 30 years. And I think we saw some interesting rhetoric kind of calling out, I don't know why it was controversial, but calling out announced plans and study groups of the Republican Party, vis-a-vis Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. So that, that took a lot of the sort of public attention. It's certainly, you know, 40% of the U.S. budget and 60 million people drawing income from these things and benefits. So they deserves a lot of attention. The point is it doesn't deserve much. And we heard about employment. And then the, the numbers are pretty good. I think there's a big debate about how well those numbers tell the story of people's lives in the economy because they were designed for an irrecognizably different world of the 1960s, which is more than 60 years ago in most cases and way more than 60 years away from people's everyday lives. But we didn't hear much about wages. And especially, I think what we should be talking about wages, it ends up being talked about in terms of inflation, right? Because if the price of stuff is going up, how much that hurts you and who it hurts has everything to do with whose wages keep up or go better than that and which wages don't, right? 
And so if we gave a lot of aid and we know that aid mostly went to the most affluent among us, and now we have a recession partially because of the enhanced spending of wealthy people, and we balance that recession by sweeping the feet out from poorer people, then we have a boom that helps the rich much more than everyone else and a bust that hits the poor much more than everyone else. And then we figured out a way to become more unequal in the peaks and the troughs of our business cycles. And the problem is we've been doing that since the 1980s. So we're 40 years into the rich get richer and the poor get poorer in the upswing, relatively, and the rich get less poor and the poor get more poor, absolutely, in the downswing. And the problem with that is they probably come to look a little bit similar to a lot of people. And then maybe we also arrive at a point where our democracy, always fragile and always imperiled by new things as well as old, becomes a casualty of the income inequality. Because it's very hard to ask men and women to stand shoulder to shoulder on one plane of their life if they're vastly unequal in their kind of other planes of their life, like you know, think, and then you know I like saying this and some people don't like it, but I guess I'll say it again. Every primary begins with a donor primary. There's always two primaries, right? There's a primary, and this is not to dissuade anyone from being active, which they should be, or voting, which is essential. But there's always two primaries where the sort of faithful and the engaged, they show up and they vote for one or two candidates or, or however many they're allowed to, you know, in their party or in an open primary in either party. But then there's always the donor primary, which is often as or sometimes more important, which is the tiny class of people who can give significant donations with no tax deduction associated with them who vote on whether or not candidates have the funding in our system to get their message out there. So, I mean, we're always auctioning off the right to represent us, and as auctions tend to do, they tend to favor people who can raise the paddle more times at higher numbers. So, we do have a donor primary. We're in the midst of it right now. Well, it never stops. Ever, 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 ever. Mm-hmm. And the Citizen United decision really, of course, just blew it up. I mean, money is all, has yeah. driven politics. How we should, would a publicly funded system change things I mean, or, or, or help us to turn the corner on this? Because I think you could always have money that's under the table. But something needs to happen because the people are being missed here. I remember when we had the, the really, the economic system collapse. In 2008, our senior senator from the great state of Illinois, Dick Durbin, said, look, he, he sounded exhausted. He said, look, let's just be honest. Bankers run this place. When are people going to have their run of the place, their say? Dr. Wolf. Look, I feel like when we talk about the public campaign financing, like you are, and it's a good point, and long, long overdue to discuss, I feel the same way I feel when we talk about public transportation or public health care. Seems to work well for everyone else. Right? So when something works really well for everyone else for a really, really long time, and what we're doing isn't working, gosh darn it, maybe I spent too many years in statistics, but it seems like it's worth a go. Because the rest of the world's democracies largely do this, and it works. And the other thing which you brought up, and I think you know because you're more politically engaged and have more politics in the House than probably most anyone who who would be out there listening to you or or even folks like me who who blabber to the folks patient enough to listen to your your guests – 
the, the other issue here, which I think may be a really big one, is most people have really short campaigns, and they vote on issues and parties, not on people. So we have presidential campaigns that are now multi-billion dollars that run for 18, 20, 25 months. And the rest of the world seems to be able to do this with public funds in 90 days. Right? So it's not all scandal and personality story. It's like, hey, this party stands for these things. <clears throat> this woman or this man wants to be the standard bearer for those ideas on this party. Do you align with them? Do you not? Yeah. Right. We don't need to know who he hooked up with in high school and whether his wife thinks he's a great kisser and if he can dance or if he looks at a barbecue and all this sort of stuff that I'm not sure helps us pick the best leaders anyways. I mean, because none of that really matters. I mean, the fact is we have Aaron Connolly on with us. She's diabetic. You know, so I know, Aaron, you were relieved when you heard the president say, we got, we're gonna, we got to cap the price of insulin. People have gone back to using animal-grade insulin. People are rationing their insulin today, Aaron, and uh, they cannot, and they're dying. You know, health care is, are your health care costs, even with the best of insurance, it's driving bankruptcies in America. That's not good news. I mean... You, you know, I just, it's not it's not good news. Child labor laws, the expansion of them to drive up corporate profits, which arguably are driving inflation, that's not good news. And in fact, it is it is hurting the country, Doctor Wolf. It's hurting us. It's destroying the country. It certainly hurts our people's people's ambitions, their dreams. It's just it's not it's it's harmful. It's harmful. Well, pretty clearly that small businesses don't have the weight to get lobbyists and get decisions on their on their favor or in their favor with the same frequency or intensity that large companies do. And that's not great for innovation and the emergence of new people into business and new businesses. And then the other thing, which I think is unfortunate, which comes along with a lot of this stuff is, you know, and part of the reason I always make or I would be in favor of more of a national health care approach is that, People have to risk their life if they leave a job that gives them health care. You're, you're asking people to risk their own lives, the lives of dependents, in order to try to start a business, in order to try to move to a better job. And it just seems like not a good idea on so many and so profound set of levels to tell people with a really serious condition or who are caring for or insuring someone with a really serious condition that, you know, too bad. You can't be an entrepreneur. Too bad. You can't advocate aggressively for yourself at work. Too bad. You can't move to the better job because your life or the life of someone dependent upon you is dependent upon that health insurance. It's a pretty serious reduction in the flexibility and self-determination. I would argue the economic freedom of these people to make these decisions. And it's a lot of people have significant conditions. I mean, I think people don't always realize that about 40 to 45% of adult Americans have at least one serious chronic health condition. A lot of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot. Um, and you keep on living. <laughs> You're a walking chronic health condition. I mean, so, I mean, what, 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 what should happen next? I mean, because Big Pharma, you might get lip service to calling them out, but nothing really happens to them. I mean, they're they're jacking up the prices for the treatment of 
COVID-19 by like 4,000% after American taxpayers paid them to develop the vaccines. I'm like, all you had to, all you had to do was develop it, send it to R&D, research and development in your corporation, and then you made all the money. Our, we gave them the money. This is, Dr. Wolf, it's just unfair. What, what did Elizabeth Warren say? The game is rigged. And it's rigged against all of us. Obviously, there are people who benefit from each of these things. The benefits don't seem to outweigh the costs on a lot of these things. So I think that's a, a place to start the conversation. And then, look, the idea is, it is going to come back to some of these big things, these big fights. What is the contract between the citizenry of the United States and the government of the United States? What are, what are your rights as a citizen, your liberties and freedoms, right? And they're not, however nice it sounds, they're not just the absence of, of punitive laws against you, although that's important, right? They're not just not being allowed to be put in debtor's prison or whatever you're working or being allowed to have a firearm or being allowed to operate a motor vehicle if you're of age. It's also about what do you get, right? In a very competitive world where other governments are able to provide people with public education that really does prepare them for the challenges and the jobs of tomorrow, whether they're or, or public transit, national health care, and protections at the workplace, which we've historically been able to do. In some cases, we were in the U.S. innovators, global innovators in the space. We kind of have to decide if we're abandoning that for a hard, harsh, free market reality or not. And if we are, I guess we should also be honest that markets are pretty dynamic and, and, and valuable in many things. They also have limitations. They also don't do equity. It's not that they don't do it well, they just don't do it at all, mm-hmm. right? And I think the best line about markets from a fellow economist of mine is, markets are a lot like fire. They're a brutal master and a powerful servant. And if you have money, the market is your servant. And if you don't, the market is your master. Is that just in? Is that just in the in the DNA of the country? I mean, it just seems like that is just America's business is business. I mean, this was originally an expedition for European royalty. They were looking for more treasure, more land, more, 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 more. I mean, that just it seems like that's you know that's where we started, but that's not where we need to end up, Doctor Wolf. I mean, just to well, make it plain. If you read the wonderful textbooks in the state of Florida, I don't think any of that's in there. That sounds like, uh, I don't know. I think you should just change the textbooks. Well, that is a debate right now. Do we take this out of the Oh, my goodness. You just want to change the textbooks. Oh, you're getting into credit. Do you want to tell the story, right? You want to tell the story about a bunch of guys got on the wrong boat in Africa and they ended up working here and there were good days and bad days? Or do you want to tell the story, right? And, like, we're trying to figure that out right now. I don't think we have a super above board honest debate all the time, but like, I think we're trying to figure out, are we going to come to terms with our history or are we going to deny it? And everything is at stake in that decision. So I am making a joke, which is probably not funny and possibly in poor taste, but I don't know what else to do. The point is, I think we are trying to figure this out right now. I think this debate about what should be in the textbooks. Yes. I think it's either we, edit out the stuff that makes us feel funny or we find a way to talk about it until we feel less funny about it, I guess. Hmm. What do you think about that? 
Me personally? Oh, I thought, I thought Robert was still there. Dwight McKee, you still there? I'm still here. I'm still here. Oh, okay, Robert. Okay, talk to me. Well, I think that what we have to start doing is uh, start re-injecting humanity into our public policy. Uh, I, I think that what we're currently seeing is a political class uh, that is so disconnected from the voters and that is so tied in uh, to the uh, need for special interest to the lobbyists, to these uh, uh, employee organizations. They've completely forgotten that they still serve people. It's not just numbers on a fact sheet. It's more so uh, uh, thinking about what this does to children and society. So uh, we got a lot of work to do. It's going to depend on us to really put these uh, whole people's feet to the fire. Mm, in about 30 seconds, what, what say you, Aaron Connolly, Attorney Aaron Connolly? Oh, my goodness. Oh, 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 oh. Dwight McKee, about 30 seconds for you. Well, you know, this whole system of slavery was built on child labor. It's just mm. what they call it kid napping because they literally nab kids from out of Africa and put them to work for years and years and years and years. That's how you could fit 300 uh, young people in a, in a boat because they were um, half the size. It's not a new phenomenon in America to use slave, the children of slave, slave labor. It's, uh, and even the young white kids who came over here as indentured servants. It's just amazing that in the 23rd century that we're going backwards rather than forward. And it, uh-huh. it's, it's sad that we're trying to go right back to where we spent the last 200 years getting, getting away from. Uh, Dr. Wolf, the last minute belongs to you. You brought it up. Well, when you need yeah, I think it's a Hold on. Yeah, I think we're at a crossroads moment. I think in weird ways that don't make sense that maybe have to be decoded sometimes, we're trying to figure out whether we're gonna finally deal with some of those original stains on this experiment and move forward in full in the full light and recognition of those, or if we're gonna double down on some past era when maybe we had a better excuse than we have now to not know what we come from and who we come from. Everything about modern medicine and building an organization says if you don't start with an honest appraisal of who you got and where you've been, getting anywhere interesting is pretty darn hard to do. Hmm. Everybody, Dr. Max Wolf, Attorney Robert Vitillo, Attorney Aaron Connolly, and Dwight McKee, Dr. Shanina Knighton, Cool Boy, and Pastor Gary's book, and Joel today. The board op, hey, what a joy it is to have a gang all here. Everybody, let's move toward justice. Let's move toward making the beloved community. We can do it, and we can do it together. That's the only way it's going to happen. I love you, everybody. God bless. Have a good day. Thanks, all.